As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids? I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never steers us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full. On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that total mom sense. According to governor.ny.gov, Governor Andrew Cuomo recently announced that based on each region's infection rate, schools across the state are permitted to open this fall. Every region's infection rate of COVID is below the threshold necessary by the state standards to open schools, and the Department of Health will review submitted reopening plans from school districts and notify districts of their status this week. Out of 749 schools across the state of New York, 127 have not yet submitted plans um, to the Department of Health, and another 50 are incomplete or deficient, but the majority of them are ready to resume. The determination of how individual districts reopen in person versus a hybrid model will be made by local school districts under the strict Department of Health guidelines. The governor also announced that school districts must post their remote learning plan online, as well as their plan for testing and tracing students and teachers. Today, I am joined by Superintendent Annabelle Soler. Mr. Annabelle Solar Jr. is currently the superintendent of schools for the Batavia City School District, a small city school district located in Genesee County that serves approximately 2,200 students. Before his appointment as superintendent, Annabelle served as the associate superintendent of strategic alignment and innovation for Buffalo Public Schools, the second largest school district in New York State. In that role, his leadership focused on building and supporting strong community schools, a turnaround strategy used to move the district's lowest performing schools to schools in good standing. He also supervised district athletics and adult education division, and lastly, the district's My Brother's Keeper initiative. Prior to his role as associate superintendent, Annabelle was a principal at North Park Academy in North Buffalo, where he helped establish North Buffalo's first community school and helped transition the school from a 5th to 8th grade school to a new pre-K to 8th grade community school. Prior to that, Annabelle served as a high school principal in the Rochester City School District for seven years, and he led the district's largest comprehensive high school. Through his professional journey, he has also served in prior capacities as an academy director, instructional technology teacher, and art teacher. In 2014, Annabelle was recognized by President Obama and the White House as a Latina educator champion of change for his leadership and commitment to positive change for the Latino community. This past October 2019, Mayor Byron Brown of the City of Buffalo recognized Annabelle as a champion of education as part of Buffalo's Hispanic Heritage Month celebration. And finally, Annabelle is a husband and proud father to four amazing kids. He enjoys sports, staying current with technology trends, and reading education-themed articles and books. Thank you, thank you, Superintendent Solar, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. 
Tell us why you even decided uh, to be in education in the first place. Um, well, I mean, you look for opportunities to make change or improvements in this world. Uh, you know, you got to have a why in this world. And so mm-hmm. for me, uh, education was probably the easiest fit. I, I'm pretty good with people and I just had a passion for working with youth and uh, had to figure out what I wanted to do while I was heading to college. And I loved art and I loved youth. And so I figured, why not be an art teacher? So uh, I kind of just kind of head that way and um, try to marry my passion for art and my passion for youth and got into education. I uh, wanted to, to influence more kids, more than just you know, 125 kids or being an art teacher, you actually saw pretty much the whole school building over the course of the year. I went back and got my master's in school administration so that I could become either an assistant principal, eventually a principal. And I was, you know, I'm one of those people who didn't want to be critical of those above me if I wasn't willing to do the work myself. You know, it was just, it's just my passion to do more and be more and contribute more to the community and to the organization. And uh, that, that's kind of what pushed me in that route. Yes. Yeah. Can you give us a breakdown of the roles? Yeah, so uh, the superintendent reports to the Board of Education. So typically school board members are elected in most communities. In some communities, they have mayoral control and the mayor appoints board members. But uh, in our community, they're elected and they supervise the superintendent. And so I report to the Board of Education. Above the Board of Education is the State Education Department or the Department of Education or in our case, it's the New York State Education Department. You know, they have authority over the school district. I work more directly with them, but the board ultimately rolls up to the commissioner of education. And then below me would be some district level office administrators. Uh, in our case, we have a couple of executive, we have an executive director of curriculum and instruction, a business administrator. And then underneath kind of me at the building level is principals. So principals roll up to me and then uh, assistant principals roll up to principals. Teachers roll up to assistant principals and principals. Um, that's kind of the hierarchy. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, and then, where does like the PTA and students fit in? So the PTAs they they work directly at the building level with the principals mm-hmm. and assistant principals or home you know uh, home teacher organizations. They they work directly more at the building level. But typically, like any organizations, when things escalate, they'll come up to me. So. Right. Right. Wow. That's great. And then. The Board of Education is answerable to the governor? The Commissioner of Education. Okay. So the and then, Board of Education would roll up to the Commissioner of Education, and the Commissioner rolls up to the Governor of Education. Okay. Okay. Got it. So, you know, as I mentioned in the intro about Governor Cuomo's plan for New York, can you shed a little bit more light on that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've been shut down since March in New York. Uh, March 16th, 2020 was our first day of closure. And we weren't given the green light until about August 7th or so to kind of reopen. You know, the governor has kept us closed for almost five months to get us prepared. And he's now finally provided us guidance. And we had to submit plans that were due by um, July 31st uh, to, the, to the state education department, to the governor's office, to the New York State Department of Health. And, and we had to make plans that, that, you know, kept health and safety at the forefront mm-hmm. of bringing back students. And. You know, right now we're at the position now where we are counting down the days to welcoming back our staff and then our students come back on the 14th. So in almost 12 days from now, we'll, we'll welcome back students and um, we're excited next week. Six days from now, we'll have staff back. So uh, we're looking forward to that, obviously, with health and safety at the forefront of all of it. And so it'll be very different than our traditional reopening with, you know, virtual everything, a lot of things being done virtual, even though we're physically all in the same building. 
because we can't gather in certain numbers of groups. So, so we're looking forward to some normalcy coming back, but we also know that it's definitely going to be a new normal. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Tell us about your district and the hybrid plan that you have in place. Yeah, so uh, our plan currently is a uh, in-person hybrid model where we'll have students come in school by last name. On Mondays and Wednesdays will be a group. Tuesdays and Thursdays will be a different group. All of our students will be, will be learning virtually on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have offered our parents the choice of being virtual right from the beginning because we are, we wanted to respect everybody's at a different place with this pandemic. Some people are, you know, really stringent. Some people are okay with practicing social distancing and still coming into contact with others. Um, some people are like, Hey, I don't want to leave my house. And so we wanted to not put our parents in a position where they had to make a choice that they maybe didn't agree with their, with their values. So some of our families are completely online, 100% every day. And then we have some of our students with special considerations that are they're going to be about four and a half days a week. And those are students with English language learners, special education needs or individualized education plans, or students who may have not engaged last year when we ended the school year and were really hard to reach with the online learning and maybe didn't fall into it and really need more and as much more in person as possible. Can you just kind of delve deeper into what the virtual model looks like? You know, are you using Google Classroom or Zoom? And, you know, how does the day flow? Is a child in front of the computer with a lunch break, but for like eight hours a day or? Yeah, so the way it works is we're going to be using, depending on the grade level, our, our, our virtual environment is going to use Google Classroom and we're going to use Google Meet or Google Hangouts, depending on what you're familiar with, the reality is, is they're going to be using that to video conference. So we'll have kids virtually. They won't be like contiguous eight hours a day. They maybe have from like nine to nine thirty. There's a 30 minute lesson with their English teacher. Then they'll have some independent work time that they'll do on their, on their home. And so then that's kind of how we broke it up. So, you know, certain times for certain content areas, but every day they'll have access to the teacher virtually. So if they're a virtual kid, they're 100% home. Every day they'll have some form of interaction daily. We're required. This time around, we're required to have daily interaction and attendance taken for students. Right, right. That's great. And how are you regulating that? So uh, again, we, we are requiring daily attendance and interactions. We have our teachers all coming into our building to make sure that they're doing that and providing that service to our kids. Uh, again, that's a change. Last last time we went remote learning, teachers were home and kids were home. So we really couldn't monitor that per se unless we were invited to the Google Meet or to the virtual classroom. Um, now we'll physically be in the building. We can walk around, see teachers working right in their classrooms. They may be in an empty classroom because they're teaching kids remotely 100%, but at least we know they're here. They have access to our technology. They have access to all their instructional resources. That's kind of how we're doing that now. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. How are you protecting you know, your teachers and staff and students through all of this? So right now we are doing um, a lot of the traditional things that you probably hear all over the place when it comes to COVID-19, and that is face masks, you know, face shields, PPE, personal protective equipment, if people need it or are comfortable. At bare minimum, it's a face mask, social distancing throughout the building. We keep kids in cohorts so they don't cross uh, groups, you know, or, you know, for lack of a better term, cross-pollinate between one group of kids and another group of kids. And we are having our teachers move and not our kids move as much as possible. A little different at the high school, but for our lower grades, the kids pretty much stay in one classroom, 12 kids. 
six feet apart uh, at their desk and the teachers will transition and move between rooms so that we eliminate that. When they go to bathrooms, they're going by themselves, the kids, so that there's no one else in the room. So we're doing a variety of things. They're eating meals in the classroom. So there's that portion. The cafeteria. Yeah, you typically would put everybody in a cafeteria, two, 300 kids. Now we can't really do that. So um, there's a variety of things going on. Obviously, we'll be disinfecting throughout the day. On the buses to come to school, there's one kid per bus seat. Uh, yeah. If they're from the same household, they can sit together. But by far and large, most kids will, will be sitting by themselves on the bus in, again, to try to protect our kids. We'll be doing uh, daily attestations for our staff on health. So every day they'll have to wake up and say they feel good enough to come into work. They don't have a headache. They haven't been near anybody who has been tested positive for COVID. They don't have a fever. They don't, they don't have like a stomach ache. There's a bunch of symptoms that, that are related to COVID-19 that they'll do every day to attest. And then when they walk into the building, we got to take their temperature. Right. So before right. they walk in, they have to take their temperature. So those are just a variety of the things that we're doing. And obviously, we'll continue to monitor and continue to follow best practice and any guidance. Right, exactly. Now, what about the teachers? I mean, I feel like they didn't exactly sign up to risk their lives every day. They don't really have a choice to be virtual indefinitely the way that parents and students can make that decision for their family. So, Well, I would say I'm included with them, right? I didn't sign up necessarily working a pandemic. And so unfortunately, we are not being incentivized to come back and I know there's been some political efforts around make labeling educators as essential employees, uh, most recently by the president, mm-hmm. uh, White House. And so that has obviously changed the narrative a little bit. But yeah, obviously, you know, our teachers are, have always been about what's best for kids. And many of them are excited to come back, even though there's all these rules. Many of them have embraced this, you know, virtual classroom. They're creating these bitmoji classrooms and they're, you know, they got all these virtual characters they're making to try to make it as interactive. So. It's actually pretty exciting to see some of the new things coming out. But, you know, there is no additional pay to come back. There is no, you know, the incentive is, you know, they're sacrificing for our kids. And, and they know that potentially they could be taking a risk. We're in a community where our infection rate is, is below 1%. Uh, we've only had, I believe, about 288 cases since March. So, right. you know, we're not in a New York City region where it was at the at the crux of this this infection. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist and it's not still here. And then right. we don't have to be cautious, but you know, we're in a little bit of a different stance than some of our other communities that we know will be reopening. Yeah, exactly. A lot of kids are facing, you know, anxiety around this. School's not going to be the same, you know, and I I just keep thinking back to my school days from pre-K to elementary to middle high school on up your friends and the interactions and recess and cafeteria and gym class and class projects, you know, all of that's kind of been eradicated because you've got your masks on and you just, you kind of have to stick to yourself. You know, are you kind of doing, or do you know about as far as programs in place to help kids adjust to this? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, what we're doing is it's in our reopening plan. We have a strong emphasis on social emotional learning and, and just, you know, being able to, whether it's virtually or even in person in a small group is, you know, really recognizing the kind of trauma that has been caused as a result of this. Uh, you know, we're social beings for the most part. And so what this has done to interrupt kind of our own personal experiences, even myself as a superintendent, uh, I mean, it's changed my social experiences when I get home from work and who I see and even who I interact in my neighborhood and, and you know, what do you do? And, we didn't go out to dinner for a while, right? We didn't, we couldn't go out to the restaurants for a while. So right. um, it's changed everything. And for a student, it definitely is going to change school. You're not going to be able to just like 
hug a friend or or hang out with someone really close. And so we're trying to do the best we can. And we've created like even our cafeteria area, we've created kind of these four pods where there's four desks facing each other six feet apart. So at least even though they're socially distanced and they're eating, they can at least face each other and maybe have a dialogue. Um, but again, they won't be able to move. They'll have to sit down the whole time. If they do move, they got to put their mask on. And so it, it, it definitely has changed the social experience in terms of what we're used to and what many of us are used to, generations are used to, of what you could do in school. And so, you know, I think some parents didn't want to send their kids for that experience. Mm -hmm. Some people are okay with that and say, I just want them to be able to visually see other children, <laughs> be able to visually talk to other children. I get it. They may not be able to hang out in those traditional manners. Um, but I also think this generation of students says, is used to a kind of disconnected, almost digital relationship with people. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, given the, the, where social media is. And I think, I think even older generations rely on social media now more than what they probably thought they would. I mean, I know people interact with people via social media more than they do via phone or in person right. because right. it's just allowed it to happen when they want it to happen. And so I think our kids are a little bit more resilient than we give them credit to be around this stuff. And they're more used to Snapchatting and talking to their kids, all their friends all the time. I know my own kids, you know, they're on TikTok, you know, at, at mm -hmm. all times and sending each other videos or interacting with, you know, memes and, I don't think they require as much as what we were used to in our in our day, uh, but they do miss each other. And so it's a fine line. We try to do the best we can to balance it. But again, we have rules to follow. Um, and even our teachers, you know, I think one thing that people aren't talking about, the, the teachers and the adults in the organization, they have been traumatized too. And, and yeah. their entire world is flipped. And, um, you know, coming in, you didn't sign up to be, like you said earlier, you didn't sign up to be teaching in a pandemic. Many of them like to give little kids a, a hug home. You know, you had a great job. I want to put my arm around you and thank you. You know, those are behaviors that like you got to change now. You just can't do and You're doing it for the right reasons. But at the end of the day, it definitely changes their approach. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. This is just heartbreaking to even think about, you know, <laughs> it's the world is not the same. And we have to just roll with the punches because there's really nothing we can do about it. Do you feel like the end will come when there's a vaccine? Yeah, I'm hoping it comes when it's a vaccine, but we know just like anything, there's going to be, you know, right now we're in a really hyper politicized world. You know, we're dealing with, you know, I kind of look at three pandemics going on now. And yes. At least in my work as a superintendent, we have obviously the COVID-19 and the health pandemic, but we also have a financial pandemic in the sense of, you know, this has crippled a lot of uh, people lost their jobs, you know, our tax base. We're, we're going to, we're going to be hurting from economically trying to move, you know, we're going to have to have some sacrifices that are going to happen. That, you know, that are, that are nobody's fault other than the fact that we had no income coming in. There was no revenue tax streams, you know, tax bases went down, people lost their jobs. Um, and then the other third one and very critical, we all, we almost have like a reignition of a, you know, racial pandemic. You know, yes. We have a lot of conversations around race occurring in every community that I can think of, even in ours. You know, we had a March for Justice when the, the George Floyd uh, situation occurred in Minnesota and, you know, the witnessing of his death and that, translates into these communities. So when you think about it, we've had kids that had no one else to really have dialogue with other than their home. So they're going to come back into these various settings dealing with a variety of things. Mom could have lost their job. You know, the family could also be a community of color from, and they're juggling all of these things, right? All of these stressors. And oh, by the way, you got, I got to take your temperature and you got to wear a mask and you got to stay six feet away from everybody. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's a, it's a three headed monster that we're facing. And, and, uh, you know, the beauty with, 
with educators is, you know, we're built for it all and, and, and we'll do the best that we can. And, you know, we're really resilient and uh, we'll, we'll figure it out, you know, again together. And the biggest thing is just self-care at this point. So. Exactly. Exactly. Well, tell us about, you know, your personal um, achievements uh, that were acknowledged by President Barack Obama and, I mean, being a Hispanic uh, leader and really being a voice for your community. What has that been like serving, you know, your community in that way? Yeah, I mean, uh, I would tell you it's one of those things when you get an email from the White House, you don't always believe it's real. Yeah. (laughs) So when I got the first email, uh, indicating that I was selected to be a Latino educator champion of change. You know, I was going to be going to the White House. I almost thought it was a scam. I had to like check it and they asked for like, we're going to need you to fill out these forms, your social security number. I'm like, I'm not giving this to somebody. <laughs> you know, an electronic portal is real. And and then when they follow up again and again, you're like, oh, this is, this is legit. So, right. you know, so I think initially it was uh, very surreal. Um, you know, I think it was, it's, Probably a lifelong honor I would never, ever forget in the sense of, you know, meeting the first uh, president of color, you know, for my own children to know that their father met that person from where I came up growing up in uh, the city of Rochester and, uh, you know, single parent, you know, mom was a high school dropout, just something I never thought would happen. And then to be recognized, um, not necessarily so much for successes, but for being a Latino educator who was an advocate and a champion, a champion that they would champion for the community, for kids for education, for public education. Um, you know, that's why I was recognized. It wasn't necessarily that I did one single thing, but it was that I was a voice or a representation of Latinos in my community at the time in Rochester, New York, and um, and that I was doing some positive things. And I was the first Latino principal of the high school that I got recognized at. And so it's just a variety of things. And so me, it was very surreal, something I think of often. And again, um, the world is a very hyper-polarized place right now. And so me, it didn't matter that he was a Democrat and now they just married, mattered to me what he symbolized and he symbolized, you know, hope. And he symbolized for many kids of color that something was possible that was never possible before. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Um, he was, you know, a beacon and, and he was the first person of color, as you said, and that will go down in history um, and will be acknowledged forever. Yeah. Yeah, and, and actually physically meeting him wasn't necessarily planned, but I think to me it was a reflection of who he was. Uh, yes. He knew we were there. We were with the Vice President Joe Biden at the time, and we were at his quarters, and, and we were being recognized and celebrated, and, and lo and behold, he just walked in just casually. Hello, everybody. How you doing? And, <laughs> and I was all that, and I was able to grab a picture with him, And but he was a stand-up guy. He talked to us. He thanked me for what we were doing and said, we need people like you in our community. Keep doing the good work and send your best to, um, send send his best to my kids when I went back. And so it was pretty cool. That's amazing. That's amazing. Tell us about them and their ages. And Yeah, know, so uh, fortunate enough to have a son, Avery. He's a 12 years old. I have twin girls, Liliana and Aaron are both nine. And mm-hmm. I have a young four-year-old, Karina Rose, is my uh, baby girl. Wow. Wow. You know, what are you planning to do? With their schooling, I mean, that's, you know, you, you couldn't be any more relatable because you're a parent and you have four at that of all different age groups. So what's well, the plan for all of them? Well, you know, right now, me and my wife, we're taking lots of deep breaths. As the days get closer and closer, we are trying to build some structures and some organization at home that would mirror school. Uh, again, we, you know, you're coming off summer vacation where you really don't have any structure. 
to now all of a sudden the place where they have no structure now has to have some structure to get them ready to, to learn online at home. So we're trying to set up our basement to be kind of like a classroom space where we create some areas where they sit down, they have their laptops or their Chromebooks, and, you know, we're going to have their schedule posted. We're using some, we've seen this um, online on social media, Pinterest, Facebook, these trifold boards where we pin their stuff and we don't allow them to see each other in the same space so that we have some focus. But yeah, we, we are working through it. And, you know, again, uh, definitely takes a village to raise a child. And we're fortunate that our that my in-laws live right next to us. And I know we'll be leaning on them to support us on some of the days where, where again, I have to work every day. My wife is an essential employee as well. She's a nurse practitioner. So duty calls, duty calls. And so the nice thing with her is that her, her, her days, she works nights so we can kind of uh, offset, but when she needs to sleep, we'll need some support. And so, um, you know, we're working through it. We don't have it all worked out yet. And, um, you know, for your listeners, None of this is easy. And, and, you know, I'm a parent first before I'm a superintendent and, right. and I'm going to do the best I can to support my children at home first. And that may require me, you know, getting someone to paint someone to come over and be with them while, yeah, while I sleeps. And so, you know, we're not there yet, but uh, we've definitely talked about all these options. And so, um, the burden is felt to and through. And, and again, for me, uh, back to your earlier question, I can't wait till there's a vaccine, although that'll bring some challenges with people not wanting to be the first to take it. And how soon can you take it? And so, We'll get there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tell us about a dad sense moment that you had. I didn't mention this earlier, so I, I think I should, it's important for me to mention my my oldest son is uh, is not biologically my son, but he's my uh, my gift from the good Lord, and he's, uh, we we adopted him at birth, and um, he's uh, he's African American, mm-hmm. and so one of the things for me was that we live in a community that is not necessarily a majority minority. Uh, we live in a community where it's a, it's a suburb. And so there aren't many kids of color in our community. And so when he went to school, he would sometimes struggle a little bit with socialization because he necessarily didn't physically or appearance wise fit in. And so, you know, he would come home and every day we would ask him, how was school? How was school? And he'd say, fine, fine. Things are fine. Things are good. You know, fine. And he would then just kind of isolate himself. Um, and he is a very intrinsic, so I will say that he's very intrinsic, very intellectual, kind of deep, very imaginative, but not necessarily very social, not a social butterfly. Okay. And so my, our instinct said something was not there. My dad said, I, I got to go visit the school. I got to go see what's going on. Lo and behold, I did. And, and I found him sitting in the cafeteria literally by himself, not, not socializing and, you know, went in and observed them. And so some of those concerns that, you know, my wife and I had were, were legitimate. And, you know, we asked the school and I try not to wear my hat as a superintendent in other communities, but I'm an educator. I know the rules. I know what's allowable, what's not allowable. So I, you know, I asked for some support. The district was very uh, agreeable to moving them and providing some opportunities for social interactions. And so, you know, we've seen some things kind of butt out of that, which has been good. For me, it's a concern being in remote that we may have some regression in some of those areas, or he may only want to talk to certain kids. So that's something that we continue to work on. But that was one probably time when my dad since said, no, I you know, got a big time. I got to prioritize. It's got to be something that we go and check out and something my wife also, her mom sense kicked in as well. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we knew there and just hearing the dialogue and the comments, we couldn't just ignore it. Let's not forget our quote of the day. Is there a quote that you live by? It's uh, pretty simple, but it's fail early, fail often but always fail forward. I love it. And um, tell us, you know, why that resonates with you. I just think it's, um, I think all of us have moments in our lives where we get 
bumps in the roads or forks in the roads and we take certain turns or certain things happen to us that may not necessarily be 100% our own doing or things that we did ourselves, you know, choices that we made that end up coming back and impacting us. You take some steps back, you fall down, you learn some lessons, you get better from them, and then you want to end up in a better spot. And so um, those things have happened to me personally and professionally, and um, you just try not to repeat those mistakes and you always try to end up in a better spot. So when we may fail forward, it's, you know, maybe not getting a job when you apply to it, maybe not getting the job after five times, but then finally getting the job and then doing great at it and, and landing at a better spot. And, um, you know, that's just an example. But even when it comes with loss of family, you know, absorbing it, taking it in, recognizing what could be done better, how can you cherish other relationships better, and then doing better afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's something that we need to keep pushing for and teaching our kids too. It, it, just being resilient and allowing ourselves that forgiveness when we fail, because you got to get back up again. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big uh, Jen Sincero fan. So I don't know if you've ever read any of her work, but uh, she's really, uh, really cool about that motivation, that mindset. No, I'll check it out. Wow. Where can, you know, my listeners find you and follow you? Well, the benefit of, of myself is I have a pretty unique name. So as long as <laughs> you can spell it, you probably can find it. If you Googled me, you can, you can find me a ton of places, but I'm on social media. So Instagram, Twitter, A-N-I-B-A-L-S-O-L-E-R-J-R is simply my handle. Facebook, same thing. First name, A-N-I-B-A-L dot S-O-L-E-R on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. So, you know, I just use my name as the way to find me. So any of those mediums, you can ask me, my friend, reach out, inbox me, DM me, and uh, we can connect. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Superintendent Seller. It was a pleasure having you on today and having you answer all of our burning questions because you as a father for uh, in your role it, you have just made us feel at ease with what's going to happen next and you know if we do kind of stumble along the way we're going to we're going to figure it out and get through it. And, and I really love that we got to talk that out with you. Well, thank you for that vote of confidence. I don't know if I can be the, the voice of calm for everybody, but you know, I would just my, you know, closing advice is uh, do what you feel as a parent is, uh, is best for your, for your family, even if it's not what others are doing. And um, you know, at the end of the day, you, you've got to make some decisions around health and safety. And, but just know that all educators are trying to keep what's best for your children at the forefront. And, um, you know, just know we're working hard too. And, and we're in these conditions with you. And, and again, you know, praying for brighter days very soon. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I know there's a lot of ambiguity and we're really concerned as parents as to what to do with back to school. But I hope that my conversation shed some light and clarity on what to do next. Tune in to other episodes and browse my YouTube videos and blog posts on my website, that's totalmomsense.com. And if you have any suggestions for show topics or guests whom I should have on my show, email me at that's totalmomsense at gmail.com. I'm so thankful to have you in my tribe, and I hope that I'm providing you with the content that you are looking for. Stay strong, super mamas and super dads. See you next time. That's total mom sense.